Testament reading is John chapter 18, verses 1 through 27. After Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus came forward and asked them, Whom are you looking for? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing there with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Whom are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you are looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill a word that he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of those whom you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the soldiers, their officer, and the Jewish police arrested Jesus and bound him. First they took him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest, that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was better to have one person die for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter was standing outside at the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing around it and warming themselves. Peter also was standing with them and warming himself. Then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the police standing by nearby Jesus struck him on the face, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, If I have spoken wrong, wrongly, testify to that. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man who whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the rooster crowed. The word of God for the people of God. Well, I'm excited that we finally reached the holy city. Uh, This uh, two-part series on the holy city that I visited and we'll be talking about with the scripture uh, it is loaded, I'll put it that way. When you talk, you can't go through Jerusalem and not have all kinds of things to talk about. 
Uh, so unfortunately, there will have to be a lot of things that I will have to leave behind that I won't necessarily be able to talk to ev- about everything regarding the holy city of Jerusalem. But we're going to hit on some of the high points, especially some of what we have heard in the scripture today. And then also we will talk about Jerus- Jesus' time in Jerusalem next week. So we're starting now, uh, hoping that my uh, is not out of batteries. There we go. Wrong way. There we go. Okay. So we're in Jerusalem, uh, the, the word's a little bit cut off there, but you can see right where Jerusalem is. It is uh, near the center of Israel, right in between what's called Israeli territory and the West Bank, which is sometimes considered Palestinian territory. So we will be in this location the next two weeks. Jerusalem is revered as a holy city by more than half the, world, half the world's population. Did you ever think about that? Uh, more than half the world's population regards Jerusalem as a holy city. Of course, for the Jewish people, Jerusalem was the capital of the ancient kingdom. It was the home of the Ark of the Covenant where it's set in the temple. And of course, in Jerusalem was Solomon's temple and then later on uh, the second temple or what we call the Herodian temple, the one that was expanded and completed during Herod's reign is there in Jerusalem. Of course, it's holy to Christians for that purpose as well, but it is also the city where Jesus was crucified buried and resurrected. And for those who practice the Muslim faith, it is the city where Muhammad ascended to heaven. And we will be looking at that place uh, momentarily just to give you an idea uh, of what goes on there in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is truly an intriguing blend of cultures, ethnicities, religion. I probably saw more diversity in regards to ethnicity, uh, country of origin, religion, faith, different kinds of Christians, different kinds of Jewish people throughout the city. It was truly the most diverse place I have ever been, and I had never seen a more diverse group of people, of course, because once again, uh, if we believe that there are a billion people practicing the Muslim faith, two billion people practicing the Christian faith, and of course some more practicing the Jewish faith, over three billion, then we believe that over half the, then over half the world's population regards Jerusalem as a holy city. And so when we entered the city of Jerusalem, well, real quickly, what we'll talk about today is what happens between Jesus' Palm Sunday entrance into the holy city and then what happens on Thursday night or Monday Thursday as Jesus is imprisoned. We will focus on this part of the Holy Week narrative and move towards the cross and the resurrection and the empty tomb next week. So today we'll talk about the Mount of Olives, the Palm Sunday processional, the Garden of Gethsemane, the Eastern Gate, uh, the Old City, the Temple Mount, the Western Wall, the Upper Room where Jesus and the disciples had that Last Supper, and then finally the location of Peter's denial at the house of Caiaphas, as we heard in the scripture just a moment ago. This is one of those times where I have to say, pictures simply don't do it justice. When you exit the tunnel entering into Jerusalem and you see it there on your left outside the bus, uh, it is simply breathtaking. And breathtaking, yes, somewhat in the sense of as as if you were looking at the mountains here in uh, western North Carolina. It's that kind of breathtaking, but it's a different kind of breathtaking, especially for a person of faith. When you drive through and you see what you have heard about all of your life in the Bible stories, uh, and what you see on TV, what you hear in the news, When you gaze upon the holy city, it is moving, it is breathtaking, it is something I wish everyone could experience just once, and I am forever grateful that I was able to do that. So what you're looking at right now, you're looking at the city of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, so you are looking from the east 
onto Jerusalem. Of course, probably the most noticeable building in Jerusalem now, if you were to see a picture, is that golden dome you see right in the middle of the picture. It is the Dome of the Rock. It is a mosque. It is a holy site, and we'll talk a little bit more about that momentarily. And that mosque sits on what would have been the Temple Mount, the old temple where Solomon's Temple and Herod's Temple is located. Uh, The Dome of the Rock sits atop that Temple Mount, and we were able to go up there as we will look at momentarily. So you're looking down from the Mount of Olives across the Kidron Valley, which we once again just heard about in the scripture, and looking into the holy city. It was a wonderful vantage point. So we started at the top, and we walked where Jesus walked. I've used that that phrase several times during this particular series, but we literally walked where Jesus walked this day. We went down this path that Jesus would have taken as he rode into Jerusalem that Palm Sunday, that, that first Palm Sunday. And so we walked down this path. That's us descending on this old stone street. You can see the city in the background there, and all of us there in the red shirts. That's us descending to Jerusalem. There's another. It was actually kind of steep, and because so many people have walked that road, the ground was really kind of rubbed down. It was kind of slick a little bit, almost like you were walking out in the winter, and there's a little tiny bit of black ice. You know what I'm talking about? That's what it was like, except it was 100 degrees outside, so you know it was not black ice. But it was a little slick, so you've got people holding onto rails going down that steep path, and you can see... Uh, the city in the background, you can still see the Dome of the Rock uh, there, the Golden Dome atop that particular building. So we went down, and of course we arrived at, at the foot of the Mount of Olives, a place called Hortus Gethsemane, which you don't need to know Latin to know what Hortus Gethsemane is. It is, of course, the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm going to come back to that momentarily. That is how we will conclude our time today. So we'll come back and talk a little bit more about the Garden of Gethsemane momentarily. But looking across this street and the rest of the valley, you can see the walls of Jerusalem. Now, this is where it gets really confusing. I've told you every week that it can get confusing knowing what you're looking at. Are you looking at a more modern church? Are you looking at something built in the 16th century? Are you looking at something built in the 9th century? Are you looking at something built in the 5th century or the 4th century? In Jerusalem, it's like that times 10. Everywhere you look, there's, there's, a, there's a newer building, there's an older building. You, you sometimes lose track of, of what you're looking at. When you look at pictures of Jerusalem and you see this big wall surrounding the city, you say, oh my goodness, what's well, the old wall of Jerusalem? That is not the old wall of Jerusalem. That is not the wall that would have been there at the time of Jesus. This is an Ottoman wall uh, from around the 16th century, I believe. So what you're looking at up on the hill um, is what's considered, uh, it's a newer wall. Uh, but it was built in the 16th century uh, by the Ottoman Empire. So that's what you're looking at across the street, uh, that old wall, but not the original wall. And what you're looking at also in that old wall is the location of what would have been the eastern gate, where Jesus would have rode in to the city, uh, and right there to the left, once you get inside the city, would have been the temple. Now, as you will notice, that particular gate is completely sealed off. Um, I, believe there, I don't believe anyone goes in and out of there at this time. Uh, it's going to get a little complicated here to talk about the relationship between the Jews and the Christians and the Muslims on this holy site. Uh, but this wall was sealed off several hundred years ago uh, by Muslim clerics in order to prevent the coming of the Messiah. Jewish people believe that the Messiah would enter through the eastern gate, 
Christians believe that yes, the Messiah did in fact enter through the Christian gate. And so Muslim clerics decided that they would try to put a stop to that and sealed off the wall. They also placed a Muslim burial ground in front of that gate, which a Jewish person would never step on a burial ground. Now, we know that God works in big and mysterious ways and know that sealing up a stone wall is not going to prevent anything that God wishes to do. But that's just an interesting factoid. No one goes in and out of that gate. What we do go is we enter through the south gate called the Moroccan gate. This is where all non-Muslims enter and leave, enter and exit the old city, or the old city of Jerusalem, which is where we go. So there we are proceeding into the old city through a large checkpoint. Uh, you will see here also some of the ultra-Orthodox Jewish men uh, coming in and out of their entrance. For the ultra-Orthodox Jewish people in Jerusalem, there is a men's entrance and there is a woman's entrance and a woman's exit and a men's exit. That's also true on the Wailing Wall, which we'll look at momentarily. There is a men's side and there is a woman's side. Now, we all went through a checkpoint that anyone could go through, more of a tourist-type checkpoint, because we were not, we did not have to follow those kinds of religious codes. But you, so you see right there, men coming in and out of an entrance there, that, that would only be a man's entrance, and then to the right would have been uh, the woman's entrance uh, for the ultra-Orthodox Jewish people. We entered into the holy city. This is just an example of looking around. You see old remains of columns and walls. You see the top of a mosque. You see another minaret on the side. So you're looking around and seeing all kinds of holy sites and all kinds of towers and domes. And yes, you lose track of those. And I'm not going to try to tell you what's what uh, through a lot of this particular conversation today. But this is us inside uh, the, the old city or the old Jerusalem. And we ascended onto what is now called the Dome of the Rock, but this was also where the old temple would have stood. Uh, this particular building has been here since the 6th century. Uh, it is now a mosque or a shrine for the, for the uh, people of the Muslim faith, but it has not always been so. Uh, in fact, much of the artwork that is done on the building and inside the building was done by Christians. So there are times that Christians have worshipped in this building, but it is now, and uh, as far as we can tell for the foreseeable future, um, a location where Muslims will worship. Uh, we were not allowed to go in, but under some kind of special permissions, you can go in. It's not totally uh, out, you know, out of bounds to go in there. Our professor had been in there before. Inside the Dome of the Rock, however, um, you may be wondering why it's called that, uh, is what is called the Foundation Stone. The foundation stone is holy for the Jewish people and also for the Muslim people. The foundation stone is the stone where some believe the Ark of the Covenant would have set um, in David's temple. Some believe it is the stone on which Adam himself was created. And so inside that particular dome is where that rock sits. There is also a place called the Well of Souls. Uh, we did not go in there. Um, but I will come back to that momentarily as well. So this is the Dome of the Rock. No one can question its beauty. Uh, the particular dome that you see on top was built, was added in the 1960s. And once again, that is, that is probably the image today of Jerusalem. When you look, you think of that golden dome. Now this is interesting. This is beside that big Dome of the Rock. You see this little dome here called the Dome of the Spirits. It's really nothing more than a hut. And as we were approaching it, I said, well, what in the world could this be? You know, it must just be a place to catch some shade in this hot weather. 
Well, most scholars believe that this is where the Holy of Holies of the temple originally was. And so this Dome of the Spirits is believed by many scholars, although, once again, different scholars hold different ideas. It, was the temple positioned this way? Was it more positioned this way? And if that's the case, this location moves, and you can't always be exactly sure. But it is a prominent scholar's belief that this is the original location of the Holy of Holies of the temple where the Ark of the Covenant would have set. And so there it is. Uh, a very simple, modest, small dome sits on top of it. Uh, there's the ground of it, so we went up and talked about it. Now, we only could talk about it very briefly and secretively because, because the Temple Mount is now Muslim-controlled, we are not allowed to speak of anything non-Muslim. And so Jews are not allowed to worship on the Temple Mount. Christians are not allowed to worship on the Temple Mount. I could not wear a cross necklace on the Temple Mount. I could not wear a t-shirt that had a cross or said anything about Jesus. In fact, at one point when our tour guide was telling us about Jesus on the Temple Mount, a security guard came up to make sure we weren't talking about Jesus. We had to change the subject very quickly. He started saying, oh, so if you look out in these mountains, you know, he kind of changed the subject very quickly. Um, but that are the, those are the rules um, for the Temple Mount because it is Muslim-controlled. However, it is maintained by and protected by the Israeli Defense Forces. This is called a status quo agreement. Uh, as much as we hear about the conflict in the area, we can be thankful that the religious communities have come to an agreement uh, to basically share a maintenance of some of those sites, Muslim, Jewish, and Christian sites, and this is one that is uh, controlled by Muslim clerics from Jordan. So this is the Western Wall. You sometimes see people praying at this wall on TV. You've heard about this called the Wailing Wall. Uh, this is some of the last remaining wall of the Herodian Temple. Uh, a retaining wall is what it would have been, so it would have been deep in the temple, um, but it is where Jewish people often come to worship and pray, uh, to recite um, prayers. It is the holiest place that Jews can access now. For instance, Jewish people cannot access the inside of the Dome of the Rock. That foundation stone would be the holiest place for Jewish people, but they are not allowed to access that uh, based on the current agreement. So this is the closest that the Jewish people can get to the Holy of Holies um, of the uh, Davidic Temple and the Herodian Temple. They come and pray at this wall, and we did the same thing. Someone snapped a picture of me praying at the wall. Uh, I prayed for a few of you. I also placed a, a paper with the name First Baptist Church on it into the wall because I wanted to pray for you. I wanted to pray for our church and for our witness and that God's blessing would be in our church. My guess is that paper is probably not there anymore. It was probably picked up and um, I, well, I don't know what they do with it, but I stuffed it into the wall. Uh, you can know that, that day I prayed for you. You see me wearing the white cap. Uh, you are not allowed to approach the wall with your head uncovered. It just so happens I was the only person in our tour group that forgot my cap that day. So fortunately, they were handing out hats. They had free hats that you could take uh, from a little basket there near the wailing wall. So I got to take home a souvenir that day that no one else did because I had forgotten my hat. So I have that in my office now. Uh, but it was truly a very uh, holy moment uh, to be at that wall. Once again, I am touching remains of the Herodian temple. There's not a lot left. There's some more underground. In fact, there was a, a cave that only men could go into where you could see some of the remains of the Herodian temple as well underground. So I went into that cave and looked at that uh, as well. This room, well... It's probably not too impressive when you're looking at it, you say, you know this isn't from the time of Jesus because you see these 
fancy, more modern type arrangements. This is a somewhat traditional location of the upper room. This is what we would sometimes call the upper room, although it's not really based in history. We know that there was a church there. In fact, what's more likely is that this was perhaps the first Christian church in Jerusalem on this particular location. We don't have any real reason to believe that it was the upper room, but it has kind of moved into tradition to call this the upper room. This is also a site that some people uh, call, when they talk about the upper room, they also talk about the day of Pentecost. And so some people believe that this is also the place where the Spirit descended on the church at Pentecost in this upper room. Kind of a tight squeeze, there wasn't a lot to see, but I just wanted to show you that. Um, that is where we, you know, some people once again believe that Jesus had his last meal with the disciples. Before we get back to the Garden of Gethsemane, there's one more church I want to show you. This is called the Church of St. Peter Gallicantu. That is the Church of the Rooster's Crow. This is the church uh, where, on, built on the location where Peter was believed to have denied Christ that third time and then the rooster crowed. So I told you, they have a site for everything. They have a site in an ancient church, and it is an ancient church, and, and I'll talk a little bit more about that momentarily. This is the site where Peter denied Jesus for the third time. Now, do you remember where Jesus was when he did, or I'm sorry, do you remember where Peter was when he offered that third denial? in the courtyard of Caiaphas at Caiaphas' house? Well, this is also regarded as the house of Caiaphas. And when you descend into the church, there are old caves old that may have been basins, but we also believe that they may have been old prisons. They would have been old dungeons. Now, we know that on that Thursday night, Jesus was taken to Caiaphas' house and imprisoned. And so some people believe, and it was very special as we descended into that, that when we stood inside this apparent dungeon, this may have been the dungeon, or at least something like it, where Jesus would have been kept at Caiaphas' house the night before his crucifixion. And so several of us descended into that cave well below ground uh, and sang some songs about the cross as well in that location. We're now going to go back to the Garden of Gethsemane because I want to end on this note. Uh, this is a church built on the Garden of Gethsemane called the Church of All Nations, uh, it is a beautiful, monumental, ornamental church built right there across from the old city, once again, inside or right beside the Garden of Gethsemane. So in many ways, this is at the foot of the Mount of Olives, but right there beside the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a beautiful church. When you go to the inside, and you'll see olive trees there. Those olive trees are at minimum hundreds of years old. Uh, some people say, well, those, are those the original olive trees that would have been in the garden while Jesus prayed? Well, likely those trees aren't, but they very well may have come from a shoot that may have been there. Olive trees have shoots that come up. I mean, you, you know that term, right? The shoot uh, that comes up that we hear about. Uh, well, it's very possible the shoots of these olive trees may have come from olive trees that were there at the time. So these very well may have been descendants of trees that were in the garden while Jesus was there. We enter into the Church of All Nations, a beautiful church. You'll see this picture uh, on the picture, that's such a trite way of putting it, this beautiful mural uh, at the altar space, and you can barely make out what's there. Uh, can anybody tell what's going on there? It's, it's Jesus on a rock. That is the rock on which Jesus prayed, uh, and Jesus sweated. Uh, he, he prayed so hard, and he, and he sweated so hard that he was said to have sweated what? Drops of blood, because he prayed so hard. 
You see that rock? Well, that rock that we see there that we were all able to get down and touch is believed to be the rock on which Jesus prayed. You can even see in the background there, there are a couple of uh, clerics or Christian clerics who were, um, I don't know if they were praying or getting some stuff together. There wasn't a mass going on while we were there, but they're in the background there at the altar. And so that is the rock on which Jesus prayed during the night uh, where he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. I want to enter into a time of just a brief devotional thought. When we talk about the Garden of Gethsemane and the place where Jesus prayed, it's important to think about some of the things that especially John talks about. And there's always something else that John is talking about beyond just the literal meaning. I want to show you a video that talks about the importance of the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, I told you that the reason I'm sharing with you about my time there is that it's, it made the scripture come alive. And I hope that after watching this video, you'll understand a little bit of what I'm talking about. Bill, it seemed to skip over. There we go. Three times under a, tre- a tremendous amount of pressure. He sweated blood. He was praying so hard and under such pressure. Uh, under such pressure. And of course, we know the verse, he was crushed for our iniquity, such as an olive would have been pressed and crushed. This is what I mean by the scripture comes to life when you travel to the Holy Land. That's something I never knew. And it was a reminder to me that maybe I'm just not paying close enough attention. You don't have to go to the Holy Land to learn that. Of course, it's very helpful to see all of that playing out before you. But I leave that as an encouragement for you to just remind you that the scripture is full of truth and meaning that each one of you has left to uncover, that I have left to uncover. Every time we read the scripture, we should discover something new, something that means something in our Christian life. It's not just reciting the story because it's something we do at church, but it's something we should learn, and we should allow the Spirit to speak to us each time we come to these scriptures. So today, as we conclude this service, and next week... We will talk about Jesus' journey to the cross, his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. Let's be reminded of Jesus' sacrifice for us. That when Jesus prayed in the garden, Jesus knew it was coming, and he was under a tremendous amount of pressure. Just like an olive press, he was being squeezed. We forget there's a human part of Jesus, that Jesus was fully human. He would have been going through the same fears, and suffering that we would have experienced should we have been in his place. But he took our place. It's important to remember that as we look on these scenes of the Holy Land and reflect on the scripture. Jesus had us in mind, I believe, when he prayed fervently and hard and under pressure there in the Garden of Gethsemane because he loves us so. Let's pray together.